This is Pastor Mike, and I want to welcome you to the Life Fellowship Podcast. I know that the trials of each of you experience can often feel overwhelming, and at those times, the enemy tries to bring discouragement into your life. Remember that in John 16, Jesus tells us to be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. Today, as you listen, I pray that God's word ministers to you and that the power of the Holy Spirit deposits joy and peace into your situation. Well, listen, it is just a privilege today. I know some of you were here yesterday for our leadership meeting, and if you weren't, you missed it. It was so good, so good. But uh, today we are privileged to have Bishop Derwood Perkins. He is the overseer of the Church of God in Louisiana and his first lady, his wife, uh, Jean Perkins. And, uh, and I just want to say about them, and listen, I don't have a, I don't have a dog in the race because I'm not in Louisiana anymore. He's, I guess, technically not my boss anymore. But they are maybe the most down-to-earth couple in our head leadership that I've met in the Church of God, and I mean that. Everybody knows I shoot it straight. And I, they are just genuinely down-to-earth, humble people. And I'm just excited for him to be able to minister to you today. And I know that God is going to continue to move in this place. And, and let me just say, Life Fellowship, get ready this year because God's going to move in this place. God, God's already moving, but he is going to move in this place. Amen. Amen. Bishop Perkins, if you would come. Well, good morning. What an honor and a privilege it is to be here in this great place called Life Fellowship. And I have experienced Life Fellowship since I've been here. Your fellowship is awesome. I want to give honor to your pastor and his wife, Mike and Stephanie, two of the finest people on the face of this earth. We enjoy being with them. And Many times we forget the work that goes into pastoring, and I, this is 30, this March, the, March the 27th will mark 38 year, 39 years of ministry for me, most of that pastoring. I don't know what this overseer stuff is, you know, I'm just that man to some people and uh, whatever to some other people, I'm just a pastor. And I know the difficulties that they walk through, and I think we just need to give our pastor and his wife a beautiful hand for what they do. Thank you so much. We had such a wonderful time yesterday, and uh, I'm excited about what God's going to do here at this church and continue to do incredible, great things for you. I don't like to say a whole lot before I preach because I have felt his presence in this place. If you, my gracious, when they started saying miracles, he's going to move when miracles come in this room. I'm, I'm receiving those miracles right now. How about you? I'm a miracle man, and you're a miracle person. And God does great things. Would you stand with me and turn with me to Luke chapter 13? I want to speak to you this morning on the subject entitled, When You Are Bent Out of Shape. When You Are Bent Out of Shape. <clears throat> My Lord, I feel his presence in this place. Dear Lord. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Beginning of verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and he could no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath 
And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought this woman, being the daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. When he said these things, his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to lift our hands in praise and in adoration to you. We thank you, you've given us the opportunity to give of our gifts to you, of what you have blessed us with, that and beyond. But Lord, today, right now, I pray that you would move in this place through your word. Dear Lord, you would touch me that they would hear you and not me, that they would see you and not me, but our lives would be transformed and changed so that when we leave this place today, we are not the same as the way we came because your power and anointing has touched us and ministered to us and will not fail to give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, have you ever been bent out of shape? You know what I mean by being bent out of shape? Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of you got bent out of shape on the way to church this morning, I know. Well, if you had got up earlier, we wouldn't be so late. You know, church is filled with second rapture people. Those that's on time and the one that the Lord's going to have to come back, the 15-minute late people, church of God people. Come on, somebody help me out here. Well, if you'd have got up on time, we'd have been at church on time. Well, if you'd have got the kids ready and helped me with it, we'd have been there on time, you know. And I don't want to go to Burger King for lunch. I want to go to Ruth's Chris, you know, all this stuff going on. And you fight all the way to get here to church and you get outside. You've been messing. So how you doing? Doing great, Jim, doing great. How you doing? God bless you. Blessed and highly favored. Hallelujah. Too blessed to be stressed, too anointed to be disappointed. Hallelujah. Fake it, baby, fake it. That's just the way it is. Just totally bent out of shape. There's things in life that kind of bend me out of shape. Just a, a few things. I have three grandchildren. You want to get me started talking for a long time? I'll talk about my three grandbabies. Two of them in California. Their mom and dad, for some reasons, decided to start a church outside of San Diego in California. I mean, California. Well, they mean taking my grandbabies that far from me. Then my other daughter, she has a, a four-year-old son, and she's a children's pastor in Athens, Georgia. And, and so I love my grandbabies. You talk about them, but there's something that happens every year called school. And when they come to school, they give you this list of everything they want you to bring. And number one on the list is this thing. We want you to bring a number two pencil. My question is, is the number two pencil so important? Why is it still number two and not number one? Man, I live in South Louisiana, down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, but they talk funny every now and then, you know. Mosquitoes down there are big as helicopters. My question is, why didn't Noah swat those two mosquitoes? That's all I want to know. And why is it that bullets bounce off of Superman's chest, but he ducks when the gun is thrown at him? Now, here's the one that really burns me out of shape, just bends me out of shape big time, and that is this. If we're a country of free speech. Well, if we're a country of free speech, why do we still get phone bills? <laughs> Rest of y'all didn't get that. You'll get that Friday when you have to get your phone bill. I understand that. These are things that just bend us out of shape. But what about the real things that bend us out of shape? Loss of a job. 
loss of a spouse. Kid goes crazy and gets on drugs. Someone treats you unfairly and you get hurt and you just get bent out of shape. Things don't go the way you want them to go and you get, help me with it, you get bent out of shape. Things just don't go the way you want them to go. You get aggravated, you get upset, your boss looks at you and you think you're going to get a raise and instead you get a pink slip and you just get, help me out, bent out of shape. Bum Phillips, I think you all may know a little bit about Bum Phillips around here, former NFL coach. Big old Texan hat that he'd wear. He made this statement one day. He said, well, there's two types of coaches in the NFL. Them that's been fired and them that's going to be fired. <laughs> I submit to you there are two types of people in this world. Those that have been bent out of shape and those that will be bent out of shape. We go through life, we go through issues and struggles of life and difficulties come to us. Well, if you're at this place in your life, I've got some great news for you. Because when difficulties come, we serve a God that can help you when you're bent out of shape. Somebody help me out. In our scripture passage, we find a woman that has been bent out of shape. She's been crippled, as it says in the scripture, for 18 years. Dr. Ralph Wilson says that the condition she is in is probably the Marie Strumpel disease, which is a fusion of the bones. That the, your back gets in such pain that you, when you lean forward, it eases the pain a little bit, and then, but your bones begin to fuse. And so you lean in a little bit more to give in to the pain that's there to get a little bit of relief, and the bones fuse together, and before long you find yourself totally bent out of shape. When you're being out of shape, you can imagine now what this lady's having to go through. I would say it affected every aspect of her life, physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, everything about her life. We find that she's affected by the situation of being bent out of shape. I want to let you know that symbolically everything she's gone through, the things that relate to us when we're bent out of shape, that Jesus had to deal with her. And I submit to you that the same way Jesus dealt with this lady that was bent out of shape is the same way he deals with you and me when we're going through our situations of being bent out of shape. So I'm hoping you're taking notes. I love people that take notes because you'll need it tomorrow. Had one guy in the last church that I pastored, he would take notes on, not that my preaching's all that great, but he would take notes, he would take those notes to his business on Monday mornings, and that was the devotion for the week. You see, sometimes Sunday comes and goes, but Monday always is there. So here's the first thing I want you to write now, and that is this, that Jesus notices when you're bent out of shape. Jesus notices when you are bent out of shape, when we arrive at this story, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and I just begin to picture, I begin to picture this woman. I don't know how you read the word, but I put myself into it. And, and so I see Jesus, he's teaching in the synagogue, and he notices, say that word notices, he, he notices this lady that's bent out of shape. You can imagine, here she is with her body bent in a grotesque manner. She can't hardly see anything but the dust that her feet are walking in. All she sees is her feet and everybody else's feet. She probably knows people by their feet. <laughs> hey, Mary, how you doing? Well, how'd you know it was me? You still got that same bunion on your left toe you had last week. Everything about this woman is, is impacted because she is bent out of shape, and yet Jesus notices her. My Aunt Lil, she was a nurse in the coal mines areas of Kentucky 
that's where I'm from. She's from the Appalachian Mountains there, and she was a coal mine. Uh, uh, her, her husband owned a business, but she was a nurse, and so all these big coal miners would come out and get hurt. And Aunt Lil was so good, she was known as the best nurse all in Pike County, and so that they would bring the people in, and they would help. And, and she kept breaking her back every time she had helped these big, strong, burly men. And before long, her back kept going like this, and as the time she died, this is how her life was. And so I began to experience exactly what this lady was going for 18 years. Aunt Lil would walk around eating is difficult. Trying to swallow is difficult. The only way you can rest is in a fetal position. When you sit down, even when you sit down, your body is still this way. And so now we find the difficulties is this is exactly where they are. Now what's interesting to me is the way that the Lord puts everything together and the Word is put together. We know that the writer of Luke is a physician. And so he uses words that other people do not use. And so when he says in verse 11, the spirit of infirmity, he does not use the word that means an illness or a disease or an injury, which is malchironosos. The word that he uses in verse 11 and verse 12, when Jesus says the word infirmity, it's the word that means a weakness. Not an illness or a disease, but it means a weakness. Some scholars believe that it was not a, a disease that hit this lady, but it was a lying spirit of infirmity that had attacked this lady's mind. She just got to the place where she was, and so what happened to her is she just kept giving in to the hurt and the pain of life, and isn't that what we do? Somebody says something to us and gets us upset, and we get bent out of shape, and we bend forward a little bit more. Well, they didn't sing my favorite song today, and so we get bent out of shape. Well, they got to sing, and I didn't get to sing. Well, they got to open the door, and I didn't get to open the door. We get bent out of shape. Or somebody at work says something not not said, and you get bent out of shape. Oh, yes, on the outside, you're standing up, and you have your fake it till you make it smile on your face. But all on the inside, you find yourself bent out of shape because the hurt and the pain and the aggravation and the devastations of life. And so we now look at Dr. Luke. He uses language that now there's no physiological cause for this lady to be bent out of shape. They testify, physicians will tell you, that there's a connection between your mind and your heart, your brain and your body, that you can talk yourself into being sick. There's people out there, they're sick. Man, you don't ask them how they're doing. You better pack a lunch. You're going to be there a while. And they're not really, there's no physiological reason, but for some reason they're in there. And before long, you know, you say, I just don't feel very good. I don't feel great. And you start saying words like Buick and Ralph. Buick. <laughs> Ralph. And you're just as sick as anybody. I tried that one time. Now, I don't know how it was when you grew up, but I grew up, I, I, I had a drug problem. I hate to confess that, but I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church every Sunday morning. Drugged to church every Sunday night, every revival. My parents were, they were PKs, and so I might as well have been a PK because every work day we were there before the pastor got there, and we were there after the pastor left. That's just the way it was at my home. So one day there's a football game coming on. I decided I want to stay home and be sick. Dad, I, don't, I just don't feel good. I really, I really feel bad. So I tried the penny under the tongue trick. They said that you could put a penny underneath your tongue, get the old mercury thermometer, put it underneath there, and it would show that you've got a fever. I will either deny or confirm whether that helped. And I told my dad, I said, Dad, I am, I'm, not, I'm feeling, just not feeling good. Man. I, just don't, I need to stay home. I don't really need to go to church. My dad's answer, son, we're Pentecostal. We believe in divine healing. Get your clothes on. We're going to church. We'll pray for you. Well, it didn't work with me. We don't know what kind of lies this lady was giving into. 
We don't know what kind of words were being stated to her. We don't know what situation she was walking through that got her to the place where she was bent out of shape. But there she is, bent out of state, out of shape. And there's the spirit of infirmity of this woman. And the spirit of infirmity is noticed by the words, I can't. Because there's a lot of people that have the I can't disease. Why don't you stand up? I can't. Well, why don't you look up to me? I can't. Well, why don't you just see where you're going? I can't. Well, why don't you, why don't you just stand up? I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't. We don't know why it was happening. We just know she said, I can't. And perhaps some of us have the good case of the I can'ts right now. We find ourselves like the circus elephant. We see this huge monstrosity of an animal sitting there. We got a little bitty wooden stake with a string around his leg. It could yank that thing out, but it doesn't. Why? It started not when the elephant was big, but when it was a little bitty. I used to do some dog training, and, and, and there's some things you can do. With dogs. It's amazing what you can do with animals. But when that little baby elephant was little, they took a big old long iron stake, drove it deep into the ground, put a metal shank around that little baby elephant's leg. And so every time it would move, it would cut, and it would hurt, and it, the, the baby elephant would finally stop. As it would begin to grow, it got to the place where it realized it couldn't pull the iron stake. And so now when it's a monster, it finds out a little bitty wooden stake's there and the string's there. And he doesn't pull it out. You see, it's not the stake in the ground. It's the thought in his mind that says that I can't. Oh, somebody help me out in here. Somehow I just feel like, Church of God, we need to be delivered from the spirit of I can't. The can'ts keep us bent out of shape. We can't see the reality of life, and we can't see how good God has been, and we can't look up when we can't look around. Listen, when you're bent out of shape, you forget how good God has just been to you. When you're bent out of shape, you can't remember what God's done. The reality of life is he brought me from over here, and he brought me over there. That's exactly what God does. We need to get rid of the can'ts that's in our life. Oh, Hallelujah. The can'ts will destroy you. The can'ts to being bent out of shape will get a hold of you. But I just believe what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. He says, don't give the devil a foothold. When you give the devil a foothold or a toehold, he'll take your smile. He'll take your joy. He'll take your peace. He'll take everything away from you. But I remember what Paul said whenever he was going through struggles. When he gets to the place, he says, yes, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Somebody give me some praise in here. So although this woman had this spirit of infirmity, although she had this issue of her mind going on, the pain and the issues that's happening to her, she did not go unnoticed to Jesus. And it's amazing to me. You can read this, read it, 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 and you never find a place where she went to him, where she looked for him. It says he noticed her she's going about her business bent out of shape there are a lot of people like staying bent out of shape they don't want to be delivered from the bent out of shape because they love the attention that it gives to them Jesus notices this woman who is what bent out of shape he reaches to her in the midst of it and what I love about this is that he noticed her it was socially unacceptable for him to even notice her. He's a rabbi speaking, teaching, and you're not supposed to speak to a woman, yet there she is, bent out of shape, and he notices her. Oh, help me out here. 
It was a, she was a social outcast. When you're bent out of shape and you have issues of your life, you have damages of your body, you're outcast of society, and you're not to be around anybody else because you're just worthless is what they say. And yet Jesus still noticed her. You see, Jesus notices people when they are bent out of shape. I just have news for somebody in this place right now. It's on the screen. You may not understand what you're going through or why you're going through it, but you can be confident that God notices when you are bent out of shape. You may have come in here this morning and gone through all the issues of life and you came in and you got out of your car all bent out of shape while you faked it on the way here but God just wants me to tell somebody in this place God has noticed you he has felt your pain he knows your pain he's here for you there's healing in this room I feel it my Lord I'm just being myself can I be myself there's healing in this room is a reason you sang the song. We're not here by accident. We're not here by coincidence. I don't believe in any of those. I believe in the divinely orderedness of God. Jesus notices when you're bent out of shape. Here's the second thing. The second thing is that Jesus is powerful enough to heal you when you are bent out of shape. Now, Jesus' compassion would be nice, and the encouragement would be great, but if that's all he can offer us, it's nothing. Oh, isn't that a shame she's been out of shape? Oh, but isn't that what we do in life so many times? We notice it, we see it, and we do nothing about it. Jesus notices where she is. He notices the situation of life where she is. And the good news is not only is Jesus compassionate, but he has the power to take care of the situation. And I believe the same steps that Jesus used with this lady are the same steps that he uses with you and me. It's the same way that he deals with our hearts and he deals with our life. The first he notices her, he notices where she is, but then the word says that he called to her. Oh, I love that picture when you get to that place. And he, look, he calls her. So what, what I get in my mind, and uh, just bear with me, it's not in Scripture, but Perkinsology here, let me just put myself into it. Jesus is teaching, he notices her, he does what? He notices her, and then he calls her, say calls her. So he calls her, what did Jesus do? This lady's walking all bent out of shape. I just think that what I have in my mind is when she walks over, comes, I believe that Jesus didn't look down. I believe Jesus just got down right to where she was and looked up in those hurting and hopeful eyes. Oh, aren't you thankful you have a Lord that comes down to you right where you are? Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. When I couldn't get up to him, he came down to me. When I was hurting and broken and bent all out of shape and couldn't look up to see him, he came right to where I am and looked up into my eyes and cared for me. He calls us where we are. Glory to God. He notices us. He calls us. He came to me. When I didn't deserve it, he came to me. When I didn't deserve it, when I was lost in my sin, he still came to me. He still noticed my issues and my struggles, and yet he still loved me enough to care for me. Some of you came in here with issues and stuff of life. It don't matter. You're all been out of shape, but God notices you, and he's calling to you. But what's interesting is it says that he notices her, he calls her, but then he speaks to her. It's kind of amazing when you look at the picture that's here. And in verse 12, he looks up and he says, woman... You are loose from your infirmity. 
He's noticed her. He's called her. He's at her level. Mm. Like those Southern Gospel, he came down to my level when I couldn't get up to his. He looks up and he says, woman, you are loose. Now, I ask myself the question, why? Why would Jesus do that? I think it goes all the way back to Isaiah chapter 61. And when he says, you see it, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed to do what? To preach the good news to the meek. But you move on down. He said to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. You're going to get a hold of that here in just a moment. The opening of the prison to those that are bound. Boy, aren't you thankful for that? But then the last one, to comfort all those that mourn. Why would Jesus do that? What grabs a hold of me is not just that he spoke to her, but it is what he spoke to her. Is that now he's looking up into those eyes and he says, woman, you are loose from your infirmity. And one of those words for loose means forgiven. Oh, can you imagine the heaviness and the bent out of shape where this lady was? We don't know what she would need forgiveness for, but it may, mean, it may be the bitterness that she felt because she was bent out of shape. It may be because of so-and-so did this and so-and-so did that and the issues of life and it, unforgiveness has grabbed a hold of her. And like many of us, we can't get rid of our life or have joy because we have unforgiveness in our lives. Oh. Well, Pastor, if you'd have known what they did to me, you'd know why I can't forgive them. Do you know what you did and God still forgave you? Should I dig it deep? We don't know what she meant, but boy, when she heard the words, woman, you are forgiven of your infirmity. Can you imagine? I believe something began to break loose in her life. That she began to say, whoa, hallelujah. Something's breaking in my life. For unforgiveness is gone. Hallelujah. You're giving me forgiveness when I didn't deserve it. You're still giving it to me. You're still speaking to me. Oh, hallelujah. That's what you do. But there's another word that grabs a hold of me. It's a medical term. That word loosed also means to be taking off of a bandage. You read Isaiah 61. Those that are bound, so let the captives free. Woman, everything that's had you bound is now being set loose of you. But there's another word that makes me want to shout and makes me want to run. I'm sorry, I'm a Kentucky boy and I can't help it. I can't just stand behind the pulpit. That word loosed means to be annihilated, to be destroyed, to be torn asunder, and to be rendered ineffective. Oh, my Lord. Now when the Lord looks at her and says, woman, you are loosed, that means everything that has had you bound is rendered ineffective. It is no longer holding you any longer. That means when she's tied down, she says, I'm loose, I'm loose, I'm loose. Somebody needs to hear it this morning. You came in here tied and bound, and you're wrapped all up in your misery and in your pain. But the Lord says to you, you are loosed from the issues of your life, and now you can be free. For he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Woo! Glory to God. He notices her. He calls her. He speaks to her. Now he says the words, but now something interesting happens. He touches her. When you look at verse 13, it says, and he laid his hands on her. So, so what? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
Because you go to verse 16, it's not on the screen, but verse 16 says that she was a Jewess. She was a Jew. That meant she understood that a Messiah was coming one day, but she also understood the Old Testament rituals of laying on of hands. She knew that they would take their turtle doves, their goats, take it to the priest. They would lay their hands on that offering, putting themselves in that place to give to the priest. On the Day of Atonement, they would bring the goat in. The priest would lay his hand on top of the goat's head, loose it, symbolizing that all the sins of Israel were loosed, cut free from those areas. So she would understand and and know about this thing being called being touched. Oh, I'm about to run, Pastor. My Lord, have mercy. The Lord's noticed you already. He's called you. (laughs) He's spoken some words to you, but oh, when the Master's hand touches you. All of a sudden, when he touches her, some great things happen. I'm so glad that I have a God that can be tu- cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Isaiah tells us that he, was, that he took on, he bore our sorrows, he bore our sins, and he knows all the issues where we are. And Hebrews says that we do not have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I love a God that knows what I'm going through, knows exactly where I am, and still touches me and can meet me right at my point of need. My Lord, have mercy. But what I love about this is verse 13, it says immediately. That just gives me the picture of that whenever Jesus is down there and he says these words to her, he lays his hands on her, that when he stood up, she stood up. Glory to God. It's the picture of what Jesus did. When he went from death, hell, and the grave and he resurrected, it's the picture of us going from our sins to righteousness of God. But what it really grabs hold of me is what the Lord does for us, is that one, one day in our sin we find ourselves that we were lost and undone, And one day we were condemned, all bent out of shape. But when Jesus touches us, we stand up righteous and holy before him. We stand up justified just as if I have never sinned. Oh, listen, that's good news to some of us here today. I remember my sins. Do you remember yours? I remember where I was lost in degradation. But there was this day when the Lord touched me. And when the Lord touched me, I began to stand before him just as if I had never sinned. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. He notices her, he calls to her, he speaks to her, and he touches her, which brings into the realization of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that tells us that therefore if any man be in Christ, he's an old creature. Is that what it says? A new creature, right? Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new but now I go to verse 21 for he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be the righteousness of Christ of God in him that's the great news today right now the master's hand is touching you and touching this church I'm just believing that when people come by life fellowship and they come into this place they know that they serve that this church serves a God that can touch them right where they are and the master's hand be there and brings them to freedom glory to the Lord Jesus notices when you are bent out of shape. Jesus is powerful enough to heal you when you are bent out of shape. Third, when you are bent out of shape, Jesus turns your brokenness into rejoicing. Hallelujah. When Jesus touches you, touches the woman, 
Notice again verse 13. Immediately she straightened up and sat on the pew. Right? Are you sure? Y'all must be different from some churches I pastored. They got saved, sanctified, filled the Holy Ghost for one day and became pew sitters. Lord, I'm glad you saved me, but don't ask me to do anything for you. Like Vance Henry used to say, we go to a ball game and scream like wild Indians and sit in the pew, be like wooden Indians. Move me, preacher, move me. I told the group yesterday, I pastored one church, their theme song was, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Why is it when the Lord redeems us, we sit still and do nothing? That we don't lift our hands in praise and in adoration and glorify Him and magnify Him. He's the one that brought me through. Well, I'm not a shouter. Well, I've probably if I, you get me, let me be around you a little bit and take you to a few ball games, a few things, I'll find out whether you are or not. Mm-hmm. Oh, we don't do that in church. Well, why not? Heaven's going to be loud. Right now, saying the four and twenty elders are before the throne, saying, Holy, holy. No, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Hallelujah. It's going to be loud up there. I'm about to meddle, so I won't. I'll move on. (laughs) Immediately she stood up, the word says, and she praised God. I don't know what she said. And I don't know what she sung. It's not written in there. So Perkinsology, though, she was a Jew. She knew the Messiah was coming. She felt the touch from the Master's hand. And for the first time, she meets the Messiah. Maybe she sang the song we used to sing when I was a kid, Love Lifted Me. Love Lifted Me when nothing else could help. Love Lifted Me. After all, there's great theology in that song that Jesus Christ, the epitome of love, gave up his throne in heaven and he came down to this earth below so that he could feed and feel the infirmities that we feel. And Jesus Christ came. When the doctors couldn't help me, love lifted me. When my family turned against me, love lifted me. When my friends ran out, love lifted me. When everybody else went their own way, love lifted me. Oh, somebody praise him in here. Love of God lifts you. Hallelujah. Maybe you have felt the weight of the world has bent you over. Anxiety bends you over. Depression bends you over. Heartache, pain, all this bends you out of shape. Some of you have lost your job. Some of you have been hurt by people that loved you. Some of you have been abused and perhaps even been rejected. And some of you feel like you can't look up and people look at you and say, listen, just look up to Jesus. And all you're saying is, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. But Jesus wants to deliver you today. He does the same thing for you that he did for this woman. So walk with me now. First, he notices her. Say it with me. He notices her second he calls her third he speaks to her and fourth he touches her so what does the Lord say to you today Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 coming to me all that labor and are heavy laden or been out of shape and I will give you rest 
You see, what I've discovered is every time you encounter Jesus, he straightens you up. Every time you encounter Jesus in worship, he touches you. I believe the application for us today is straighten up. You got problems in your marriage, let Jesus touch you. Straighten up and praise God. You got problems on the job, how about letting Jesus touch you and go to that job and straighten up and praise God. You see, you ought to be, I believe Christians ought to be the happiest people on the face of the earth. We shouldn't be no sour sacks Christian. Come on, somebody help me out here. You know, a little smile goes a long way in people's life. You know what I'm saying? I play a saxophone. It takes 904 muscles to make what they call an embouchure, which is where your mouth comes together. You put your mouthpiece in there to play 904 muscles to get there. It takes more muscles in your body to frown than it does to smile. And yet, boy, a lot of people work their smiles, their frown muscles real big. How are you? I'm a Christian. Really? Then we praise the devil. Devil's been on my back. Get him off your back. I know he's going to come. In this world, you'll have tribulation. I wish I could rip that out of the Bible. But I love the rest of it. But be of good cheer. He has already overcome the world. So, yes, you go through trouble. Yes, you go through trials. Yes, you go through struggles. But I'm an overcomer because he's already overcome. I can rejoice through God Almighty. There's no situation too hard or too difficult that God cannot touch you where you are. Listen, this disease or this sickness that this lady had, there's no cure for it. And for the Marie Strimple disease, there's no cure for that. And yet Jesus touched her right where she was and she came out healed. You heard the story that Pastor shared earlier. And listen, it doesn't matter how long you've been in This lady been there for 18 long years. And some of you have wondered out like Paul. I mean, like David, how long, oh Lord? How long, oh Lord, shall we live? Listen, you just stay just a little bit longer. Your miracle's on its way. It's it's already coming. God's already promised to give you strength. When the Lord touches you, you straighten up and you praise God because you get set free. Because Jesus touches you and brokenness turns into rejoicing. So when difficulties come, I just begin to rely on the scripture. One of my favorite scriptures is Psalm chapter 40. Psalm, Psalm chapter 40 verses 1. Do we get out at 2 o'clock? Is that what time we get out? Psalm, Psalm chapter 40, verse 1 through 3. Look at the scripture. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me. He heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet in the rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. Now, that's enough to shout about right there, isn't it? But we really need to look at the next verse. He put a new song. A what? A new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Notice it says, and many will see it. Many will see it and put their trust in the Lord. The key point is he's going to put a new song in our mouth. This scripture took on a new meaning to me. Just a couple of few years ago, I had broken my nose playing basketball when I was a kid. And uh, I, I went to fake and do a shot and I faked the guy out, but I faked him too good. His knee hit me about right here and laid my nose over. Blood was everywhere. I went to the uh, physician's assistant. They looked at me and I said, is my nose broken? He says, well, your, was your nose deviated to your right eye when you came here? And I said, no. He said, yeah, it's broken. So I had all these issues because of sinus stuff that would come and sinus infection. So finally, Omaha, Nebraska, they said, you've got to have sinus surgery. If not, you're going to talk like that the whole time. So I go through surgery, and because of what I was going through, it had affected my voice. Some of y'all probably wish it had cut out now. I'm sorry. I'm a little bit long. I'll be through. It, attacked, it affected my voice, so they put me through vocal therapy. Now, my sister is a singer. She, she sings like Sandy Patty. Me, my, my buck has got holes in it, and the handle's half worn off. You don't want me singing. 
So I go into this little bitty room, about a 10 by 10 room. There's this little bitty lady about this tall. Now listen, when you're shorter than me, you know you got vertically challenged issues. And she says, okay, you got to do some exercises. La, 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 And I'm going, and I get, I get tickled. I can't help it. And I'm laughing through this going, ma'am, I can't do this. Help me out now. Come on. And I start laughing. Pastor, I'm just dying. I said, I can't. She looked at me, and here's what she said. Do you want to preach again? I said, yes, ma'am. But what hit me was I was going through issues, but I had to get my vocal cords ready. Listen, some of you need to understand you're going through issues and trials. The Lord just saying, get your vocal cords ready and go ahead and start warming up. I'm going to put a new song in your mouth, and people are going to notice what you've gone through. And see, because you've gone through it, they can go through it too. Oh, man, that's some good stuff. But look at verse 30, uh, 17. All the multitudes, when she gets rejoicing, all the multitudes rejoice for all the glorious things that were done by him. That word glorious means marvelous or gorgeous. And so what we find is for some of her friends, oh, it's a glorious thing that the Lord has done for her. For others, they're looking, oh, it's marvelous. She was bent out of shape and now, now she can come. But for others, she was gorgeous. Do you know how ugly you are when you're bent out of shape? Better get my shot in now. You may not have me back. Man, you think you're beautiful, and you're probably beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're stinking rotten bones. And people know it. Here comes old rotten again. I smelled him when they walked in the door. All bent out of shape. Grumbly, gripely. Instead of being humbly grateful, you're hatefully grumbly. People see it, but boy, listen, when the Lord touches your life, and he brings newness to you and freshness to you. You're no longer stinking and no longer in a bad attitude. But God Almighty comes in and touches you. And joy comes into your life. It's a glorious thing when God comes to your life. And all the people. How many people? All the people noticed. And all the people rejoiced in the midst of it. I think it comes time. We need to glorify God for all those great things we know that he's done in our life. And let's not forget where he is. But I think we need to glorify him for what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Come on with it. Two grandmothers were talking one day, and they're talking, bragging on their grandbabies. Finally, one grandmother asked the other grandmother, said, well, well how, old are your, how old are your grandchildren? And the grandmother pulled out these pictures as well. The doctor's two and the lawyer's four. <laughs> By faith, pastor, I'm looking at this section over here, and hopefully next time I come back, I'm going to glorify God right now that this section is filled with people, with the glory of God coming to this place. Come on, somebody help me. You believe that? I'm believing these empty seats be filled with the glory of God. Listen, I just believe that God's, that miracles in the room and miracles in the house, and it begins with you, and it begins with me. When we finally get to the place and say, Lord God, touch me right where I am, and set me free right where I am, and let it begin in me. Let the glorious work of God do great things. Let me hurry. You can and you should rejoice in the midst of joy killers. And there's joy killers out there. Oh, somebody help me out with that one. It was the religious people. They were more concerned about church being the way they wanted it than they were somebody getting set free. You're not doing that in my house. Oh, no, 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 no. 
And it wasn't just the pastor. It says, notice it says, you hypocrites. Y'all. All y'all. There's more people in there not happy about what's taking place. And yet she just keeps on praising the Lord the louder in the midst of it. My favorite scripture in the midst of joy killers is David. He's bringing back the Ark of the Covenant, 2 Samuel. And he's bringing it to his rightful place. And all of a sudden it says that he would take ship steps and he would rejoice. And he would dance. It said he danced with all of his heart. Now I don't know what kind of dance he had. I don't know if it was the Pentecostal chicken peck. I don't know if it's the flow of the spirit, the charismatic. I don't know if it's the foot stomping. It just says he did it with all of his heart. That tells me he had happy feet. Some of y'all say you're not dancers, but when the music goes, that toe starts doing this. I think it's time the church ought to get some happy feet. Come on, somebody. We ought to get to the place where you're saying, Lord, you set me free. And his own wife, his own wife, his own family member said, how dare you? be so undignified listen I have a doctorate degree and there's some people think that when you get to a certain level I'm an overseer praise the Lord I mean after all I did go to cemetery I mean seminary I love you Lord Thank you for your good. Now, when two fingers come up, you know the Holy Ghost is in the house. No, uh-uh. the Lord has done so much for me. He has set me free. I get happy feet when I start thinking about how what he's done for me. I think there comes a time we need to get some happy feet and say, listen, you may think it's undignified, but I'm going to praise him even more undignified because I want the world to know that it's not a ball game that makes me happy, but it's Jesus Christ who set me free and delivered me. That's why I'm happy. My Lord. I'm going to have to preach the rest of it some other time. Paul said, I rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, here's the last point. Jesus expects us to have the same, oh Lord, to have some, the same compassion for those who are bent out of shape as he does. Jesus noticed the hurt, the pain, the issue. She did not come. Listen, people aren't coming to your church because it says life fellowship. They'll come to you because they're in crisis. They'll come to you because you were out in the community and they heard your name and heard what you were doing, giving water to thirsty souls, caring for senior adults that couldn't care for themselves, cutting their grass when they were going, why are you doing that? Because we just love you with the love of Jesus. And when crisis comes, they go, there's a church called Life Fellowship that we can be there with. Jesus wants us to be as filled with compassion as he was. You see, the religious leader could care less about the lady getting set free. Help me, Jesus. That's the message for us. Never forget that hurting people matter to God. I was pastoring my first church. Might need to give me some small, quiet stopping music or we'll be here till 6 o'clock. Just real, real, real soft. Pastor, my first church, and we had 13 people. I was telling a bit about it yesterday. 13 people in that first church. 
Well, I had 20 on the first Sunday. One family sat over here. One family sat over there. I get through preaching, and this guy comes to me, and he, this is, is in South Carolina. It's exactly how he said it. Well, I like your preaching, but you can't be my pastor. And I said, okay. Why is that? He got one of our wedding bands on. I said, sir, the 1958 minutes of the General Assembly of the Church of God says I can have a wedding band. I don't care what that book says. Can't be my pastor. Okay. That same night, we had to, had to get together for us. And that man still showed up. We had an old sanctuary that they had turned into a fellowship hall. So where the stage was, they had taken all the stuff off and put a refrigerator and a stove and a sink and all that kind of stuff and really made it nice because they built a church next door to it. Debt free. So I'm walking in there and he grabs me. Hey, come here. Come here. I walked over and he said, you see that spot right there? That spot right there is new, brand new carpet. I didn't see a spot. Now, I'd about had enough. I said, sir, if you're talking about this general area, I see that area. My boy, my boy got saved right there. And they desecrated this holy temple and built that monstrosity over there. Well, he done went past, pardon my grammar, he done went past my about had enough. I said, sir, where is your son? You ain't here? I said, well, what church does he go to? He ain't going nowhere. I said, well, apparently that spot means more to you than it means to him. And let me tell you something, sir. I'm so glad they built that monstrosity over there because we're going to turn this into a children's center and win people for Jesus in this place. So, sir, I just want you to know, get ready, get ready, get ready. We're building a children's center, and we're going to fill that place up for the glory of God. Well, I said, sir, now, don't, please don't do this. Don't think bad of me. But I was all of 20-something years old. I said, sir, you can go right down to church 10 miles from here. There's a church that like people like you. Can't go there no more. They kicked me out of there too. I said, well, that lets you know what's going on. Thirteen people in this church now. Hot as blue blazes. Air conditioners were not working. Thirteen people and we had no money. How are we going to do it? All of a sudden this man comes and he's working. Stephen, Steve Steele is his name, working on an air conditioner. And the Lord just prompted me and said, just build relationship with him. I started talking to him. We talked hunting. We talked fishing. We talked all kind of good stuff, you know, oh, men's stuff. Oh, oh, oh. By the way, we're doing a men's retreat in Louisiana. We're having aromatherapy for men. Gunpowder. We're shooting guns, baby. And all of a sudden, built a relationship with him. And I said, "Hey, Steve, you you got you got any kids?" He said, "Yeah, I got a five-year-old son named Stephen." I said, you know what? You need to come and bring Stephen. we got a, ch a great children's ministry here. Children's ministry, 13 people. Oh, yeah, my wife's gift is children's ministry. The Lord spoke to her one night. She hits me in the ribs, and I start drafting out. I used to be a draftsman, and so she told me what to draw out. And we had, you know, said, why would you do that for 13 people? I said, well, because I had two girls, even though their dad's a great preacher, you know. <laughs> Tongue in cheek, sorry. They needed ministry on their level. 
we started, I said, bring Stephen. Gene had trained our girls to do puppet ministry. There's another family had two girls. He trained them to do puppet ministry. They would do puppet ministry, and then, then they would run out, and Gene would teach them. In walks little Stephen, ADHD to the 100th degree, <laughs> bouncing all over the walls. They'd be doing puppet ministry, and they, he would run up and grab the puppets off their hand, all kind of stuff. Sunday night, they would come, and he's, I guess I'm a boring preacher. They'd lay him on the floor. He'd go sleep. So finally, after about the second Sunday, Gene asked the mama, said, what is it? He's acting like a wild Indian, bouncing all off the wall on Sunday morning. But on Sunday night, he's sleeping through the sermon. What's the deal? She said, well, on Sunday nights, we give him Benadryl. (laughs) 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 Said, could uh, could you do that on Sunday morning some? You know, help us out. Give him a half a pill, would you? Just a half a pill. (laughs) Steve always called me reverend. Reverend. We were on us so so Steve, where do you go to church? Reverend, I don't need church. I was hurt in church, and so I don't need church. I said, Steve, I said, where do you want Stephen to go when he dies? Well, I want him to go to heaven. I said, Steve, you do realize that the son normally follows the father. And if you're not in church, he's not gonna be in church. So chances of him going to heaven, probably not all that great. Is it all right being, just being honest with somebody? Yeah. Better relationship with him so I could speak into him because I had a relationship with him. The third week they were there, I get a phone call. Reverend, Tuesday night. Reverend, 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 it's my boy Steve. It's my boy Steve. It's my boy Steve. And I says, whoa, slow down, slow down. I, 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 don't, I don't follow you. Hold on, hold on. What's going on? What's going on? It's my boy Stephen. It's my boy Stephen, Reverend. We've got him in the hospital. He's got spinal meningitis, and they've already told us he's not going to make it till in the morning. We were a little bitty town in South Carolina. We lived so far out in the woods, you had to drive towards town to go deer hunting. That's how far out we were. Take 45 minutes to go out to where the hospital was. I got there in about 20. I broke every speed limit law there was, prayed the whole way. Don't know if God was with me because I was breaking laws, but I walked in that place squared my shoulders and sir you can't go in there sir you can't go in there and I said oh that's my members in that place now they weren't but by faith I was claiming them it's my members in that place I busted down the doors and I walked in there and there's Stephen laying out there's ADH to the hundredth degree laying out there as still as he could be I walked in I greeted Stephen I greeted Stephen I greeted his wife and hugged on him a little bit and I look over and there's this nurse standing by Stephen's bedside and she gives me the look you've ever been there you know what I'm saying no hope I looked at her and said while they were I said are you sure she said not gonna make it I walked over to Stephen's bed and put my hand on that little five-year-old boy's head I said God I didn't yell and scream I mean God's not dead I mean you probably think I think he is I've been yelling put my head on I said Lord I don't understand this but you're God and your word says that by your stripes Isaiah says by your stripes we are healed Peter says by your stripes we have been healed so Lord I I, I apply the blood of healing to Steve's body now that's all I said 
walked over to the family, sat there with them for a little while, longer. I left at about 3.30, 4 o'clock that morning. Went on my way back home. I get a phone call at 10 o'clock. Pastor, pastor. Notice the change in terminology. Pastor, pastor, it's my boy. It's my boy, Stephen. It's my boy, Stephen. And he, he, I said, whoa, slow down, Steve. I can't understand you. Slow down. He said, it's my boy, Steve. It's my boy, Stephen. said, the doctors don't know what to do. And my heart's in my throat waiting for him to say. He said, listen, about 30 minutes ago, he got up out of that bed. He's running all over the hospital. And they don't know what's going on with my boy. Woo! He said... I can tell you what happened. My pastor came in this place, laid hands on my boy, and my boy was healed. I'm telling you, God touches you when you've been out of shape. And in nine months' time, that little video church from 13 was running over 100. Not because of Derwood Perkins and my preaching. It was because Steve Steele who has been out of shape, got a touch from the master's hand, and straightened up and praised God. In that little bitty town, he told everybody, you got to come and hear this little bitty preacher. You got to come to this church because they'll love you. You need to come to this church because they got a children's ministry. First Baptist didn't have a children's ministry. Southern Methodist didn't have a Baptist ministry. Didn't have a children's ministry. But my wife had a dream for a children's ministry. Listen to me, Life Fellowship. It's time to straighten up, praise God, and let God do what only He can do. Would you stand? Would you stand with me, please? I would apologize for going 15 minutes over, but I'm not. Because God's in the house. Early this morning in my prayer time, I say, God, it's not about me, it's all about you. And Lord, you know who's coming into this place. I don't know you, I don't know anything about the church. I, I, I make it a habit to never ask pastors anything about the church because I want to have the freedom to preach. There's some people in this morning. There's issues going on. You need God to touch you. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to come to this altar. I'm not going to ask you to think about what you're going through. You feel like you need to tell me you can, but God already knows about it. If you got prayer altar workers, I want you to come with them because I'm believing. Somebody's going to walk out of here straight. The issues and the stuff on the inside that's been going through. The Lord says to you, you're loosed. <laughs> you're forgiven. Oh, can somebody praise you for being forgiven? Those things that those things that have you bound and have you wrapped up and feel so tight, he says you're loosed. You're set free. Father, I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit's been in this place today. From the very first song that started all the way to this very moment, your Holy Spirit's been in control of this place. The lives have been touched and already ministered to. And so, Lord, I just pray right now that I, I break every yoke of bondage on somebody's mind and over their heart. I tear a shred to sunder. I let loose anything, any hindering spirit that would keep them from moving forward. That today they experience the freedom that only you can give to them. We experience it now. If you need something from the Lord, step forward right now. 
listening to our podcast here at Life Fellowship Church in Hearst, Texas. God is doing great things at our church, and we would like for you to be a part. Join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 6.45 p.m. Get connected with us through Facebook or our website at www.lifefellowshiphearst.org. Thank you, and God bless.